We really want this jewelry to unlock something in the person who's buying it. We want women to feel like they're unlocking their beauty and their potential on the inside. One of the biggest things for us is that our women, over 70% of them, consider themselves sole providers. I think consumers want to be part of retail experiences that benefit them in a deeper way than just the product itself and allows them to have an impact their purchasing power. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Sheba Phillip. Sheba is the CEO of Acola, a retail social venture and jewelry lifestyle brand with a mission to empower women in Eastern Africa. Sheba was previously the vice president of marketing and communications at JCPenney, a vice president at International Justice Mission, an anti-slavery organization, and also was the global director for the Oreo brand at parent company Mondelez International. Sheba was recently named in InStyle Magazine's 50 Women Making the World a Better Place in 2021. Welcome, Sheba. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I have to say, I just love that we're speaking with one of the 50 women making the world a better place in 2021. And we're all based in Dallas, which means that soon enough, we can all toast to that recognition that you just received. Oh, thank you, Eva. I appreciate that. Although I would say the 50 women are just an appetizer. There's many, many more women around the world that should be on that list. But I'm really like very, very humbled and very appreciative of the recognition, more so for Cola and being part of a community of tremendous women trying to change the world. So thank you. Absolutely. I think you put that extremely well. So I want to dive into you and you know, your background, your career has spanned large corporates, consulting, chemical engineering, as well as nonprofit organizations. Do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? And does that role come naturally to you? Mm, That's a great question. You know, I am not your typical startup CEO. One, I did not found a cola. Brittany Underwood was the founder of a cola. But also, I've this is my first early stage venture. My career, as Ed outlined, started in big Fortune 50, coming out of business school, and and I would say. I'm a builder of purposeful brands, whether they're established and iconic like Oreo or really early stage and high growth like a cola. I do think the the realm of entrepreneurship and how to really create a path of social purpose in a brand can happen, whether you're established, big, iconic business or an early venture. But my roots are in traditional corporate, which has been a really interesting, I think, launching pad to running a cola. In many ways, I've built, uh, brought in, I should say, 
a lot of the classical general management experiences I've had running big businesses and brands globally around the world. But also I'm learning a lot because what it takes to run a corporate entity is so different than what it takes to run a startup. And I'm learning that as we speak. Smaller budgets. <laughs> Smaller budgets, less resources, but a lot of autonomy and a lot of ability to make an impact, which is why I love it so much. No Super Bowl ads yet. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I wish. So so the company was founded by Brittany back in 2007, my notes yeah. say. Can you tell us a little bit more about the story, how it started, and then kind of how you got involved? So Acola, you know, let's start with the, the name Acola. So Acola's its meaning is she works, and it's based on a local Ugandan dialect. In 2007, you know, Brittany had gone to Uganda on a missions trip, not trying to start a company, but really just trying to serve communities around her. What she saw was a huge opportunity. What she saw was women who were striving to take care of their homes, feed their children, but with no meaningful way to create a cycle of empowerment and a pathway out of poverty. And that all starts with dignified and sustainable employment. So what she did early in the start of Ecola was just to create jobs for women, having them make simple jewelry under a tree and then selling that jewelry in Dallas to raise funds to care for the women she was working with. A very traditional way of starting a nonprofit. Now, I don't think she ever imagined what would happen after that, but several years ago, the head of Neiman Marcus came to Brittany and asked uh, if she would be open to featuring a cola in Neiman Marcus stores. Up to that point, that was game changing because really, you know, social enterprise jewelry brands were lower priced. They were, you know, made by artisans, not by employees of a manufacturing entity. This was a very different model. Brittany's model was not hiring women that already knew how to make jewelry, like, you know, or hiring a woman, you know, and making her make the jewelry and, and then sell it. But she was bringing women who had absolutely no manufacturing experience, no jewelry experience, and training them to make jewelry, and then selling that jewelry now in a very luxury setting, setting like Neiman Marcus. This was truly game, game changing. So she started to build vertically integrated manufacturing, designing in Dallas, where she's from, and then producing the product in Uganda, employing women that were marginalized. And like I mentioned, otherwise would never have a job. Then fast forward to 2019, or rewind 2019, I should say, Neiman Marcus was our first distribution play, but then Nordstrom and Sachs came to her and said, we would love to carry your product. At that point, I think Brittany saw the opportunity to really scale the operations of Ecola and really fuel this mission of empowering women in need through restructuring the company from a nonprofit to a for-profit. And that would mean everything from the financial backing of the company, the talent that we were bringing on to lead the company, the strategy and the culture. And so when she saw that is when she realized, you know, it's time to bring in somebody who can lead this restructuring and kind of move Ecola into a new era. So in 2019, I left, you know, my time at JCPenney. I was in the process of thinking through my next steps. I heard about Ecola and I joined as a CEO. I led the restructuring of the company from a nonprofit to a public benefit corporation and led us through our seed round, which closed in February of 2020. 
like you said, Ed, it's like, it's a really interesting story I've had, you know, starting with big brands, like coming out of Mondelez International and Kraft Foods, running Oreo to doing JCPenney retail, classic retail. And then also I was the head of, you know, marketing for International Justice Mission, which is all about fighting modern day slavery in the developing world. So in some ways, I feel like the last 20 years of my career across private sector, public sector, retail, food, and, um, you know, nonprofit. I mean, I feel like all of it uniquely prepared me for this role. And I'm very, very grateful for the experiences I had leading up to my decision to join Ecola. That's incredible. You mentioned modern day slavery. Um, we know that in Uganda, the average person earns less than $1.90 a day. I could absolutely substantiate this through my work. But in your business model also relies on women throughout the supply chain with an emphasis on vertical integration. I was wondering if you could unpack you know, how you are with each piece that you're creating, creating impact and empowering women in East Africa. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we think about this idea of slavery, you know, it's a very heavy word. And I think it's start, there's a, there's an underlying core belief behind slavery, right? People don't have value and people don't have the opportunity to realize our full potential. Those are the two core things that make slavery so hard to digest and believe that it still exists. And with our work in Africa and employing women, what we've tried to do is unlock or, or disrupt those two beliefs. One, that people do have value and they have the right and the opportunity to realize our full potential. How we do that is like you mentioned, Eva, through vertically integrated manufacturing. Today, we employ 171 women to handcraft all of our jewelry. These are women that are the most marginalized in communities. They're women that would have no access to steady income, let alone manufacturing. We bring them in, we employ them, we give them a living wage. And that's just the beginning because employment is one thing, but how do you Take your employment and create opportunity for yourself and your family requires a completely different set of skills. That is around, you know, emotional resilience, spiritual health, emotional well-being, to know your value as a human, as a woman, and the ability you have to create a positive impact in your life and the life of your family. So what we do is we bring our women in, they're employed, like I said, they're given a wage a living wage, and then we give them social services. We give them training around, you know, emotional health. We help them open up a bank account. We teach them how to start a secondary business with the income that they receive. So when Ecola was started as a nonprofit, all of that was under one big umbrella, right? It was the employment and it was the kind of holistic care around them. When we restructured to a for-profit, it was super important that we didn't lose the social services side of our work. So we have kept the employment arm under the for-profit, the vertically integrated manufacturing, and we've spun off the social services under a separate nonprofit called Cola Academy. And that staff and that team, they're sitting on the ground with our women, with our staff in the manufacturing arm working together to really care for our women. So for me, this idea of value, placing value and showing their value by giving them dignified work, giving them wages that represent the work that they're, that's fair, 
and that represents the work that they are doing and then creating a mechanism for them to be growing, you know, in their emotional well-being and their emotional outlook so that they can take their employment and create opportunity. And for me, that that goes directly, like I said, to the face of slavery, which is that people don't see their value and they don't see their potential. And this is, for me, what we're trying to directly address through Ricola's model. I think that's really powerful. And it begs the question, how do you measure it? And I know that, you know, having been a nonprofit, Ecola probably has a longstanding mm-hmm. track record of being able to measure economic independence and community transformation and also female empowerment. Um, are you using any scoring systems or have you developed your own metrics to determine how the outcomes are performing? Yeah. So we do, to your point, you know, that is the great model foundation of Ecola is that we've got the the monitoring and evaluation side of this to make sure that what we're doing is creating impact to your point, Eva. Yes, we do track very concrete statistics such as, you know, their land ownership, their home ownership, the number of children that they're putting through school. That is all done and we we track it on a quarterly basis. And then we also have, I would say, more qualitative tracking of our women's emotional health. Our women are part of, you know, small community groups on the ground. There's a lot of listening and sharing and documentation of their stories. They themselves do a thing called designing her story where they're writing, expressing the narrative of their life and communicating that. So all that is all so kind of tracked to see kind of are our women thriving emotionally, spiritually in this and in, in kind of a qualitative way. And that's coupled with the concrete assessment that is being done around their actual financial means. So again, do they have a, a checking account? Are they starting a secondary business? Have they put their kids in school? And that's also tracked along with the emotional kind of pieces that we think are more qualitatively monitored. So I have a question. The success metrics are, you know, fairly standard here, like, you know, home ownership or school or other things, which we would all agree are good things. Is it easy to find? Is, does everybody, do all these women in Uganda agree with that sort of lens of success? Or are there other lenses of success that you find yourself kind of running up against and thinking like, oh, why do these people not want to own? Is it a, you know, the the kind of like culture coming together? Do you find that those are like basic human desires? And once you unlock them, everybody in the world wants those things? Or do you find some surprises with respect to what women want? in Uganda? Obviously, as not being Ugandan and not on the ground, I I don't want to speak to understanding all the nuances of the the culture. But as I've spent time with our women, as I've talked to Brittany, as I've talked to our leadership team in Nicole Academy, there are some liberators for women, one of which is absolutely owning your own land. I came from a world, I worked at International Justice Mission, and one of the biggest issues that people have is property grabbing, where if you're a woman, and you're widowed and you don't have land rights, you're kicked off the property. I mean, that, that is rampant across Africa. And so especially, and also in Uganda, I think owning land, one of the biggest things for us is that our women, I said we employed about 171 women, over 70% of them consider themselves sole providers. They, they may be married, they may be in a partnership with someone, but that person is not providing income. They are the sole provider and they are also caring for up to five to six dependents. Some may be their own children, 
They could be orphans. They could be family members. So the land, owning land is a source of tremendous stability for these women because they're not going to get kicked off their property. They own that home and they are able to provide meaningfully. They can use the property for agriculture to create secondary income. We have seen that. Owning homes, you know, Yes, I think that is the goalpost. Some people own, you know, homes. Other people just want like a, a thatch roof and that's fine. I mean, it really depends. We've even seen like the ownership of a cow or a goat is so valuable. It's like some of our women take their cows and they walk them to work and like leave them at work while they're working to graze on the grass and just be there because they're a great source of income. You can sell the milk, you can do a lot with the cows that considered a very big asset. I think it's it's an interesting question you raise. Are there global indices for empowerment, like a home or land? I would imagine yes. I just think given the plight of our women and some of the challenges they have, those re- represent a lot of stability and ability to sustain an independent livelihood and care for their families. I mean, I think that totally answers my question. You know, it's like that those things are desired by them and by large numbers of them. You know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That would be the way you would say, oh, you know, if I could show somebody that this is really good for them, but if they don't want it, then it's no good. So it's cool to hear that that's, you know, especially the land ownership and that independence, um, that that's really getting a lot of traction. It, it is. And I and I think you, you raise a really good point. I was sharing this with somebody else. I was talking to you about a cola earlier today, actually. You know, I was in Uganda in 2019 before COVID broke. And I was interviewing some of our women, just trying to get their stories. And I asked one of uh, our women, I said, you know, you've joined Ecola. She was working for Ecola, I think for like seven or eight years. And I'd asked her, you know, what is the most important thing you've gotten from Ecola? And I assumed it would be a paycheck, money to feed my children. What she said was, Ecola has taught me how to make decisions. And I thought that was really powerful because even owning a home, like you could have money in your hand, but the decision to say, okay, I deserve this. I can do this. I have the resolve and the fortitude to go out there and own a home or buy land. You know, I bought my first house only a few years ago and it was a pretty intense experience. I cannot imagine what a woman of that is that has been told they don't have value, they don't have worth to believe that they can achieve that. So, you know, so much of, I think of that accomplishment of going and doing that is for economic dependence, but it's also this huge emotional milestone for them to see themselves as valuable as, ha- as leaders and as women that have tremendous potential. Cool. That's for sure. At Beyond Capital, just to share with our listeners, we use a criteria called the 2X Challenge, which is a set of criteria that is established for empowering women in the global south. So it includes entrepreneurship or leadership or employment or consumption. And if an organization meets one of these criteria, then it is known as 2x eligible. So this kind of, I think, becoming the the global standard of, you know, having a metric system. But I agree with you, Sheba. I think that there's often qualities that we cannot measure, like learning how to be better decision makers, as that woman put it to you. And I think that that's extremely powerful and great to share those stories. To pivot slightly, in addition to the social impact of working with women, Acola also uses sustainably sourced materials for your jewelry pieces. And sustainability is 
as you know, these days, a big word that gets tossed around a lot, but really in the context of the jewelry, what does sustainability mean to Ecola? That's a great question. For us, I mean, our core focus is job creation for women, but we do intentionally incorporate materials that are one, I think, friendly to the environment, but also stimulate the local economy. Our hope is that Ecola creates ripple effects beyond even just the women we employ, but ripple effects in the communities that we are in and we're serving. So in our products, you can find probably three of our core sustainable materials. One is raffia. It's palm leaf that's been dried. I'm wearing an earring. I don't know if you can see it, but it's woven raffia. It's, it's, and we dye it and that is completely sustainable and is sourced from palm leaves in Uganda. We also ha- use cow horn. I'm wearing a bracelet here. And that cow horn is from the Ankoli cow, which is a heritage cow you can find in Uganda. It is not like ivory where you kill an elephant and you take their tusk. These cows are used for meat. They're used for, they're naturally used for, you know, agricultural purposes. But when they die, the horn can be harnessed and almost upcycled and and used as a material for jewelry. Sometimes you can see it in home decor coming out of Africa. So we use that material, the Ancoli cow horn, as a real beautiful basis for a lot of our jewelry. And that horn is really interesting because it is stimulating the local economy in Uganda because we are buying from local farmers, from farming networks, and that helps, like I said, create that ripple effect. And then we also use recycled glass beads, or beads that have been made through recycled glass that that is sourced from Ghana, and we use that in our jewelry as well. And we, we love using these materials, one, because of the sustainability, as you mentioned, but also because it just represents the beauty and the DNA of Ecola, and more importantly, of Africa. And we want to make sure that that is captured in all of our jewelry designs. Beauty is important too, and I think it conveys its its own impact. So Acola was named one of the 25 brands along with Warby Parker and Allbirds that is shaping the future of retail. I would love to pivot even further and just ask, in your opinion, what is the future of retail and how is Acola a part of shaping those trends? That is a tough question. I was gonna say a small question. <laughs> I had so, to ask it. I will tell you, retail's here to stay. And I, I worked at JCPenney and I believe that when I was working in traditional brick and mortar department store environment, I think the expectations for consumers are changing. I think they are more intentional about how they spend their money. They are investing in brands that represent their values and they want brands that understand their own experience and can integrate seamlessly into their life. You know, for us, I think that a cola represents a huge opportunity for customers. We have never felt that this is your classic kind of nonprofit model, you know, customer, Eva, you buy a bracelet and you're helping this woman in Africa, you know, stay employed. That is true. But what we want to do is like you mentioned beauty, like we want people to unlock the beauty inside of them when they buy the product, when they, and knowing that when they buy it, they're employing a woman and they're using their own agency, their own purchasing power to create good in the world. 
So for me, I think where I mentioned like retail is changing. I think consumers want to have be part of retail experiences that benefit them in a deeper way than just the product itself and allows them to have an impact their purchasing power. And I think a cola plays into that beautifully. I also think that luxury retail is changing. I think that people want to, are willing to spend more money and jewelry is a a category that people are willing to spend more money on. But I think luxury retail can also have a heart and it can also be about empowerment of marginalized people and raising other people up. And that's why we love a cola story because we're playing in price points that really connect women with tremendous purchasing power with women who lack a voice. And so that type of disruption in retail, I think is welcome and is very exciting. And the last thing I will say is that, you know, and I'm sure you guys all have favorite brands. I mean, my favorite brands have such immersive experiences. You you feel so in touch with the maker, the creator of the product. And we're going to be spending a lot of time over the next year really integrating our impact through a very immersive digital experience. I think brick and mortar will always be here. But I do think people are obviously spending a lot of time online and they're looking for experiences. They're looking for ways to deeply connect to something bigger than themselves. And I would love to see a cola be part of that trend in the way we show up in our e-commerce platform and the way we connect our customers with the women making our product and creating a very integrated community. I mean, these are all, I think, things and I believe is reshaping retail coming out of COVID. And I, and I, I don't think it's a trend. I think it's here to stay. I can't wait to see what that all looks like because it has so much purpose in it, which yeah. I think is extremely important and frankly, more interesting for me. Let's turn to the rapid fire questions. That way, Shiba, we can get to know you a little bit better. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's dive in. Kicking it off, what book is on your nightstand right now? I have several books. I'm kind of ADD when it comes to reading books. I never finished them completely. But the book that I brought on my last vacation, which was last week, Turks and Caicos, was Educated by Tara Westover. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Coffee, coffee, coffee with milk and sugar. Lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. (laughs) Name something that is giving you hope right now. God. I'm very driven by my faith and my spirituality. And I think idea of God and a God that loves me gives me a lot of hope. What is one trend you're watching right now in retail? I think this, I mean, I think that we've already seen it is this this trend of influencer and using influence to reshape consumers' narratives. Like we're engaging a lot with influencers now with the cola. It's a trend that's been, that's been here and I definitely think is here to stay. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events for your industry, whether a podcast, a website, or a newsletter? Yeah, I, I'm kind of all, a little bit all over the place on this one. I sometimes will be following JCK, which is a jewelry kind of industry kind of news post. I'm following media posts, which is telling me all about what's going on in media right now. And then I'm like asking, honestly, friends. I think so much of what is happening in in trends is just coming through hearing word of mouth recommendations, what's happening on Instagram. So I'm kind of doing a smattering of all of those things. Okay. So you're a high powered executive with lots of prominent roles behind you. You must be a pretty strong leader. At the end of the day, what is your favorite way or your most effective way to unwind? After you drank too much coffee. <laughs> After I drank too much coffee. Uh, I call my nieces. I have two nieces, Grace and Ella. Grace is seven. Ella is nine. 
and I FaceTime them almost every day check in how they, they, they message me on Facebook. We're always keeping in touch. And so they are my source of unwinding because there's nothing more than talking to a child who does not care about work and they just care about what they are doing in a given day. And it just completely shifts my perspective. That's very sweet. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Just one. <laughs> oh my goodness. Many, many things, but it's been the constant mantra. I'm still trying to receive it is embrace my imperfection. Embrace it. I think for many, many years, I was trying to be perfect and I exacted that perfectionist mindset on the people I led and how I approached my life. And it's debilitating. You know, no one is perfect. We all make mistakes and we have to have compassion for ourselves. And when you have compassion for yourselves, you can have compassion for other people. So that's my journey. I'm not nowhere close to embracing it fully, but in my, if I was 20 and I could talk to her or talk to 20 year old Sheba again, I would absolutely reinforce that. Just embrace your imperfection. It's okay to make mistakes. Give yourself grace. It's always good advice. So turning back to wrap up our incredible conversation with you, Sheba, I would love to know a little bit about the consumers and how they interact with the brand have they you know enjoyed the prioritization of sustainability and humane working conditions as a part of the brand do they just love the designs what has been really standing out you know i think it's a confluence of many things you know if you walk into nordstrom and you see our product there you don't know anything about the mission other than maybe a sales rep will tell you about it. But more than likely, you're just loving the jewelry. You're loving the color. You're loving the materials like raffia and horn and that I talked to you about. I think when we look at the jewelry of Acola, I feel personally, even though I'm a CEO, CEO, I'm a little biased, but I love Acola jewelry because it just exudes joy. It's this color, the vibrancy of the materials, the glass beads. And we get a lot of feedback that, you know, in a world where everything is kind of neutral and gold and silver metal, you see this beautiful kind of beaded jewelry. I think it elicits a lot of emotional positivity and joy. And we get that a lot from the feedback we get from consumers, especially if they're just seeing it for the first time in department store. But when you go shed that first layer of the onion, I think people are so drawn to the empowerment of women and the job creation for women. I, I think the sustainable materials absolutely is a great way to feel good about the product. But when women can feel like I'm making a purchase and I'm directly helping employ a woman who otherwise would not have a job, that is truly meaningful. And I think drives a way deeper connection to the brand and to this community of women that we're building. And then the also other thing I would say is that as I mentioned before, like we really want this jewelry to unlock something in the person who's buying it. It is a beautiful product on the outside. We want women to feel like they're unlocking their beauty and their potential on the inside when they're wearing the jewelry. And what we found, interestingly enough, is you know, some of our jewelry experiences are really meaningful to them. When COVID broke, we had, you know, our core business, which was jewelry, traditional jewelry, earrings, bracelets, and necklaces. We decided to launch a DIY jewelry kit, which was just beads in a box that you can make jewelry with your daughter, with friends. It was a product we actually had in Neiman Marcus as an exclusive several years ago. 
And then when I still remember this day, it was March, 2020. And Brittany calls me up and she's like, we got to try something different. No one's wearing jewelry right now, but they want to feel hope. They want to feel uplifted. Let's take the DIY kit and release it on our website. And we did, and it took off. And now we have this kind of, you know, built in secondary business, which is a luxury DIY, which is beautiful kits of beads where you can sit with your daughter or with a girlfriend and make jewelry that's wonderful and gorgeous to wear, but also spreads generosity and hope because you're thinking about the woman that had made those beads. And to me, that's been a, a tremendous amount of feedback we've gotten that this jewelry is unlocking something in them. It's not just wearing earrings to a party, but you're feeling like you're part of something bigger. You're lending your own creativity to it through the DIY side of our business. So I feel like the products themselves, I mean, like our DIY kits, I think we've gotten so much great feedback on it being a conduit of connecting with other people and tapping into this kind of spirit of generosity that connects you to somebody in Uganda. I think you touched on a lot of the magic of the company there. And and with that, Shiba, I would love to say thank you for being here with us today. It's been incredible to speak with you. I, I already want to get out there and buy a DIY kit. I think that would be fun to work on with my my little daughter who's learning how to string beads and things like that. I, we've learned a lot. I, I have to say, I think it's been incredible to deep dive on this topic. Thank you. I recommend the Anasa kit in gold foil oh, yes. and blue. There you go. <laughs> it's already on the website. So the Anasa kit was a top, it was, it was on every gift guide for Christmas as a top jewelry gift and we just launched one in blue and i'll give you guys some sneak peek information we are launching a really elevated kit in in the fall for women to it's not kitty it's very much like adult jewelry but again something you can do with your girlfriends or your sister but the anasa kit's my favorite too i love it and we've gotten such great feedback on it when is the uh, men's nose ring line coming out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is not coming, Ed, but when it does, I will be sure to let you know. Talks to me. <laughs> Congratulations on all the hard work you've done to bring this out and to make such a big difference in the lives of so many people. It's been really great talking to you today. Likewise. Thank you guys for the conversation and for the opportunity. I really had a great time. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I wanted to let you know that next episode will be Ed's last episode as my co-host. We both have exciting achievements on the horizon. I will continue with the third season with surprise guest hosts in the fall. I can't wait for you to enjoy that. I want to deeply thank Ed for his collaboration and partnership for the past two seasons. He has brought tremendous insight, fun, and knowledge to the podcast. As always, thank you for listening. I remain here for you for feedback and to answer your questions. You can find me at Conscious Investor on Instagram and also on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening.